the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people of Israel are oppressed. And the people of Judah as well, all their captors hold them fast, refusing to let them go. So the Babylonians exercised a brutal dominance over the Jewish people. They were oppressive and abusive. And I know that one could argue, well, isn't that all a part of war? And perhaps it is. But nevertheless, God took note of how oppressed the Jewish people were. And he always takes note of those who are oppressed and those who are suffering in our world. In your walk with Christ, have you ever felt oppressed from society? Have you ever felt like no matter what you do, you're always on the outside looking in? In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that no matter what your situation is, God will always be there for you. He has a heart for the oppressed of the world and wants nothing more than to save you from the pain and suffering that you've been afflicted with. Give it all to God and be set free from the pain that has held you hostage. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 49, as he continues his message, Lessons from Babylon. So he says, your mother will be greatly ashamed and she who gave you birth will be disgraced. He's talking about using a female gender, just the nation in general, Babylon. She will be the least of the nations, a wilderness, a dry land, a desert. Because of the Lord's anger, she will not be inhabited, but will be completely desolate. All who pass Babylon will be horrified and scoff because of all her wounds. Is it true or false? Is Babylon today just rubble? It's true. Babylon today is just rubble. Saddam Hussein had a vision for rebuilding Babylon, kind of never got around to it. Oops. But anyway, that's another story. Saddam Hussein actually saw himself as the revised Nebuchadnezzar. Saddam Hussein had a coin minted with his image on one side of the coin and Nebuchadnezzar's image on the other side of the coin. He saw himself as a modern-day Nebuchadnezzar. He had a dream to rebuild Babylon. Babylon will again one day be rebuilt because, as I mentioned, we see it resurfacing in Revelation 17 and 18. But what God prophesies here ends up happening. It ends up being destroyed. The point of this jubilance over the misfortune of others is this. God frowns upon any of us who rejoice over the misfortune of others. You say, well, I don't do that. I'm glad. Good. But what about when somebody mistreats you? Somebody does you wrong. And then some little misfortune happens to them. Now, let's just be honest. Is there a little tiny bit of you? Somebody who's done you wrong, and then somebody does them wrong. Is there a little tiny bit of you, just way down deep, 
that smiles with delight. Come on, let's be honest about this. Let me just illustrate it in kind of a simple way. Um, Let's just say you're stuck in traffic, bumper to bumper traffic. All right. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have a commute into DC or out of DC. You're in bumper to bumper traffic. You're holding on to your salvation for all you can, right? And you're going to be late and you're furious inside and you're just like, oh, I can't believe this. And then some bozo starts driving fast on the shoulder, right? Just driving fast on the shoulder, which is illegal. And you're just like, oh, look at that. You know, and here you are trying to be this good law abiding citizen, just sitting out in the traffic, bumper to bumper. Well, you inch up inch by inch, you finally get a mile down the road. And that car that passed you on the shoulder is now pulled off by a cop. Now, what's your reaction? Oh, Lord, I just pray for that brother or sister. Okay, wait, you wouldn't have your eyes closed. You're driving. You're just like, Lord, have mercy upon them. And may that police officer treat them fairly and nicely. Of course, you're not like that. You're looking over waving as you drive by. You're like, see ya, wouldn't want to be a sucker. You know, that's what you're doing. Don't give me that look like, oh, I would never do that. Of course you would. Now, I'm going to tell on myself, and if you want to tell me your story between services, I'll use yours for the last service. But I'm going to tell on me. Many years ago, a pastor on our staff, he'll tell you this really happened. This is like 20 years ago. He had just come on staff, all right? And he and I were going somewhere, I think a hospital visit, visiting somebody. And we're driving back on Route 7, coming back to church. And there was a guy who many years ago uh, just did me wrong, okay? People do people wrong all the time. I'm guilty of it myself at some point in my life, I know. But there was a guy who had done me wrong. Mike knew about it too. And as we're driving, we come to a stoplight on Route 7. And I look over, and here's this guy who had done me wrong. And he's driving a pickup truck, and in the back of his pickup truck, he has a bunch of lumber. And the tailgate's down. And I just look at him, and I was like, oh, that's that, okay. And so I'm having one of those prayer moments, you know. And Mike's just talking to me. He doesn't notice, right? Well, as the light turns green, I'm like, I'm just taking off, because I don't want to have to deal with, you know, just kind of being next to him and driving side by side on Route 7. So I take off. He takes off, and when he takes off, all of the lumber spills out of the back of his pickup truck all over Route 7, right? Now, what do you think I did? (laughs) I did not say to Mike, you know, Mike, the Christian thing would be, we need to go help that brother load the lumber in the back of the truck. I took off, friends. I just took off. And as I'm taking off, Mike looks over and he says to me, wasn't that so-and-so back there? I'm like, oh, hmm, wow, we got to go, Mike. I didn't stop because inside I'm thinking, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pick up your own lumber, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that was right. I'm just saying, listen, we do this kind of thing. And the reason we tend to do this is because either A, we think that they deserve it, or B, we think we're better than they are. And neither one is right. Neither one is right. Proverbs 17.5 says, whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. Proverbs 24.17-18 to 18 says, do not gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove. 
Obadiah 1 verse 12 says, You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. Another way of saying all this is God does not like cheering from the sidelines when someone, even someone who has done you wrong, experiences misfortune of their own. We must never celebrate another's misfortune or rejoice over their troubles. And next time you think to yourself, well, they got what they deserve. You just remember, Jesus Christ died on a cross so that you wouldn't get what you deserve, so that I wouldn't get what I deserve. And we need to be instruments of His grace. We need to extend grace towards people. Jesus said in Luke 6, 28, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. What Christ calls us to in our Christian lives will not come easily, conveniently, and it will be very contrary and counterintuitive to the way that the world operates. The world operates with a system of get even. People deserve what's coming to them. Karma, all this kind of stuff. And God comes along and says, not for the Christian. For the Christian, we're to not rejoice over the misfortune of other people. Even if they've done you wrong, we're to pray for them. We're to bless them. We're to leave them in God's hands. The Babylonians rejoiced over the misfortune of the Jewish people. Took advantage of them. Number two, they were in defiance against God. If you look at verse 29, still in chapter 50, verse 29 says, Summon archers against Babylon, all those who draw the bow, and camp all around her. Let no one escape. Repay her for her deeds. Do to her as she has done, for she has defied the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Now, to defy is to go against something or someone. It can be used in a positive way. Somebody can say she was diagnosed with a terrible disease but she has defied the odds and she's beat the disease and she's recovered. In the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the way, the book of Daniel takes place at the same time that our story in Jeremiah takes place. It's just that Jeremiah is about what's happening in Judah. The book of Daniel is about what's happening in Babylon. Daniel and his friends have been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. They're over in Babylon. His three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, many of you are familiar with the story, they're thrown into a furnace because they refused to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar asked to be worshipped like a god. These guys were faithful to the true and living God and said, we're not going to bow down to you. Then Nebuchadnezzar basically said, then death to you. And so into the furnace you go. Bible says that the Lord gloriously appeared with them in the midst of this furnace. And he saved them. And it was a wonderful, incredible miracle. And they were delivered from the furnace without even the smell of smoke on their garments. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar, when he saw this, and he even beheld one that he called like a son of God. He didn't know Jesus, but it's the appearance of Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. One of the pictures of Christ appearing with these guys in the fiery furnace, delivering them. And as a testimony to this pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar ends up seeing this and saying in Daniel 3, 28, they, meaning Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, trusted in God and defied the king's command, his own command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. And so defying an earthly king, which these guys did, in deference to the heavenly king, became a testimony to this earthly king. So there are some good examples of defying, but whenever you see in the Bible defy in the same sentence with the Lord, it's never a good thing. Babylon had defied God. They were against God. They were opposed to God. And the truth is, you can only defy the Lord for so long. 
You can only defy the Lord for so long until you feel the burn. And I don't mean Sanders. <laughs> God help us, I don't mean Sanders. I mean, I mean the burn, like God is going to bring it to you. Because he loves us. But when we defy him, we make it miserable for ourselves. This is Paul's testimony. Paul was a zealous Jew. And he was zealous for God. But he thought that Christians were just a heretical sect. And so he was trying to kill them. He thought, because he didn't believe at that time that Jesus was the Christ, was the Messiah, he thought Christians, the early church, that they were in rebellion against God and they believed a false Messiah. So many of you know the story. So Paul on his way to Damascus, Syria, to persecute Christians, had this encounter with Jesus. The Lord appears to him. And Jesus confronts him and asks this question. Saul, Saul. That was his name before his name was changed to Paul. Jesus asked him, why do you persecute me? And then he made the statement. Jesus said to him, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what's Jesus talking about? Well, a goad back in that day was a tool that farmers used to motivate oxen. So a goad was usually a long wooden pole, and on one end was a blade, and they would use that blade to knock off clay from the blade of the plow. And on the other end of this wooden stick, about eight feet long, was just sharp, jagged edges. Those were the goads. So a farmer would be plowing, and if the oxen were too slow or not plowing straight, the farmer would take the goad and poke the oxen in the rear end to motivate him to get going. But the oxen, not being the smartest animals in the world, started kicking back against the goads. And the problem is what they thought would help them actually incurred more injury. They're just continuing to kick against the goads. And Jesus uses this when he confronts Paul because he says, basically, I've been trying to get your attention for a long time, Paul, and you keep kicking against me. And the more you keep kicking against me, the worse... You make it for yourself. Why are you trying to make it so hard on yourself? And some of you need to ask the same question for yourselves. God's been trying to get your attention for a long time. You keep kicking against God and kicking against God, kicking against God. You're just making matters worse for yourself. Why don't you just stop and surrender? I mean, how many injuries does it take before you realize maybe God's trying to get my attention? I mean, how many DUIs is is it going to take? I mean, how many broken marriages is it going to take? How many times do you have to spend a night in jail? You know, what's it going to take before you finally realize? You know, my life's pretty miserable. And it's miserable because I don't surrender to God. You're making it harder on yourself. The Babylonians were in defiance against God. There are a lot of people in our world today in defiance against God. And they're making life miserable for themselves. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 13, that the way of the transgressor is hard. Somebody who's in defiance against God makes it hard for themselves. It'll go a whole lot easier for you if you would just surrender. Just surrender. Sorry, it was Proverbs 13, 15. I inverted those numbers, not 15, 13. The way of the transgressor is hard. The Babylonians are making life miserable for themselves, just like a lot of people do when they try to kick against God. Stop kicking. Surrender. Stop kicking. Surrender. The third thing was arrogance. Here in chapter 50, look at verses 31 and 32. He says, see, I am against you, O arrogant one. God's calling Babylon arrogant. Declares the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty, for your day has come, the time for you to be punished. 
The arrogant one will stumble and fall, and no one will help her up. I will kindle a fire in her towns that will consume all who are around her. So the Babylonians here were arrogant and proud people. Now, unlike jubilance, which in most cases is fine, except when you're jubilant about the misfortune of others, arrogance is never fine. Arrogance is never good. Arrogance is pride. And arrogance and pride are an affront to God. God says in 1 Samuel 15, 23, through the lips of the prophet Samuel, that rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. The Bible says in Proverbs 8, 13, that God hates pride and arrogance. And by the way, pride is the oldest of all the known sins. Even before Adam and Eve sinned against God, Satan rebelled against God. And the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 28, 17, that the root of the sin issue with Satan was pride. That here Satan, originally called Lucifer, was created as a beautiful angel in heaven. Probably among the hierarchy of angels was one of the highest, if not the highest. But that still wasn't good enough for him. And so he looked at God and he desired to be equal with God. And so pride filled his heart on account of his beauty, Ezekiel 28 tells us, because he was a very beautifully created angelic being. And when pride filled his heart, then sin enters here, and so he rebels against God. This is the first sin recorded in the Bible. And for that reason, Satan's kicked out of heaven, and he takes a third of the angels with him, the Bible says, now known today as demons. So pride goes way back. It's the first sin issue. John Calvin said that pride is the pregnant mother of all sins. Because most sins, if you really trace it down to the root can be found rooted in the issue of pride. Because think about all the different sin issues. At the core of it often is maybe some sense of entitlement. That's what pride, pride says I'm entitled. Pride says I deserve this. Pride says, look at me, notice me, honor me, love me, serve me. And that becomes the issue for a lot of different kinds of sins. So it must be something that we deal with here. This is why God says in James 4, 6, that God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. He is in opposition to the proud. And when pride is at the center of your life, God cannot be. It's as simple as that. So God calls us to be humble. But here's the important thing about humility. God calls us to be humble. And you and I can either be humble because we choose to be humble or God will humble us for us. And the latter is much more painful. So that's why the Bible says in different places, for example, James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. But when we don't humble ourselves, Jesus said in Luke 18.14, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And by the way, humble is the one thing that you should always strive to be, but never say you are. Because the moment you do say that, you aren't. You know, I've been really working on a Bible study on humility, and I finally I'm humble now. No, you're not now. <laughs> Got to start all over on that Bible study. So it's something we should always strive to be, but never say that we are. There's this one occasion in Matthew 18 where Jesus' disciples were having this conversation about who among them was the greatest. Isn't that a trip? I mean, these are the hand-selected, this is the A-team that Jesus has picked. 
And they're talking among themselves, which one of us is greatest? I think I am. No, no, I think I am. And so in Matthew 18, verse 1, they go to Jesus with the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Tell us, solve this mystery for us. And it says that Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18. This is a beautiful story. He takes a visual illustration, a real living little child, puts that little child amongst all of these disciples. So I want you to be like that little kid right there. I want you to just humble yourself. Don't be so full of yourself. Be like this little child because then you'll really understand what greatness is. Greatness is in leastness. Don't go around trying to promote yourself. Let God do that. But the Babylonians were guilty of it. Last thing we'll look at real quickly is dominance. They oppressed the Jewish people. In chapter 50, verse 33, this is what the Lord Almighty says, the people of Israel are oppressed, and the people of Judah as well, all their captors hold them fast, refusing to let them go. And so the Babylonians exercised a brutal dominance over the Jewish people. They were oppressive and abusive. And I know that one could argue, well, isn't that all a part of war? And perhaps it is. But nevertheless, God took note of how oppressed the Jewish people were. And he always takes note of those who are oppressed and those who are suffering in our world. God always takes note of the oppressed and the suffering. Psalm 146.7 says he upholds the cause of the oppressed. In Deuteronomy 10.18, it says he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. In Psalm 9 verse 9, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. In other words, God doesn't want people to dominate one another, not in the sense of superiority. Of course, there are chains of command and there are leadership structures. Okay, we understand those things. But in the sense of superiority, dominance, being oppressive and abusive and overbearing, these are the kind of things that God tells us are sin issues. In fact, Jesus calls out all of those Gentiles who are lording authority over people in Matthew 20, 25 to 28. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in just the final two minutes, I'm going to change the title of this, not the sins of Babylon. I just want to rephrase all of these real quickly and talk about the signs of a godly life. What we need to be doing, learning from the sins of Babylon, is we need to change jubilance over the misfortune of others to compassion for one another. We need to be people of love and compassion towards people. We should never rejoice in the misfortune of others, even if they've done you wrong. You pray and give them to God, but don't you rejoice over their misfortune. Show compassion and be compassionate to people. We need to replace defiance against God to surrender to God. Some of you just need to finally yield your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Stop kicking and surrender to Him. We need to replace arrogance with humility. We need to replace dominance with servanthood. There's a reason why Jesus washed His disciples' feet at the Last Supper. He wanted to model servanthood. Even though he's Lord, he wanted to model before his disciples and before us, preserved in Scripture, the idea that being a servant is an honorable thing. This is what God calls us to. May we learn from the sins of Babylon 
May God help us to exemplify Him in all that we do and say. Amen. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from Jeremiah again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in Jeremiah and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.